0: You're listening to the Hard Men Podcast, reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of softness. Well, welcome to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. We have a very exciting dumpster fire of an episode from Twitter mm. with a few dumpster diving friends of mine. We have Pastor Brian Sovey, and we have Pastor Dan Burkholder. Guys, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing really well. You know, it's funny you say that because my, my father-in-law, I'm pretty sure he, he does dumpster dive. And my dad, I don't know if you knew this, but he delivered dumpsters for a while. The goods that he would get out of those things, man, they're great. Way better than what we're going to find today.
0: Oh, Way dude. Better. Way better than what's on Twitter. So mm-hmm. we're going to talk about a discussion that I blame fully on Brian uh, about modesty on Twitter. But first. I have to know we've all got some libations this afternoon. So first of all, what what are we what are we drinking today?
2: Well, Eric, we um we are enjoying a custom blend. So, what? you know, a lot of guys they get their they get their whiskey in a bottle and then they just like Neanderthals just drink whatever's there.
1: <laughs> just no, no, open no, the no, bottle no, no, and pour it in a glass <laughs> and drink it. What the heck?
2: What we do is we take bottles of whiskey that are less expensive and try to replicate more expensive ones. So Dan, Dan, walk us through, what are we drinking today?
1: Yeah. So what we have here is a lovely McAllen 12 sherry cask, which is mm. fantastic on its own. It has a yeah. McAllen funk, as we like to call it. That's right. It has like a earthy mushroom fungal type of aroma. That's really In pleasant. In a good way. But, but, you know, the problem with uh, the with McAllen 12 is that it's also very, very sweet. It's very mm. sweet. But, you know, it's not sweet. Is Well, actually, it is sweet. Highland it's Park also 12 sweet. is also sweet, but it has a nice, smoky, peaty n- nose to it. And so when you take two-thirds Macallan 12 sherry cask and you add Highland Park 12, you get something akin to a $300 bottle of Macallan, which is still wow. probably overpriced, but it's amazing.
0: Oh, unbelievable. I had no idea, no idea that you guys were master distillers because that's basically well, what I you're mean, telling me. Master is a strong word and an appropriate one. <laughs> an appropriate one. <laughs> I like that. Well, it, it kind of you know, I was feeling good. I've got my uh, whiskey snifter and I've got my Glenlivet 12, and I thought it was cool, but mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: is it the double oak you got? That no. Glenlivet double oak?
0: No, it's not double oaked. I'm sorry. Okay, Brian. it's
2: better. It's better. Yes. That's okay. I was gonna say If it is double oak, then we are actually, like, we're up here.
1: It comes in a glass bottle,
0: so there's that. (laughs) I, I, unlike you guys, am not a master distiller. But I'll tell you what I am is a master connoisseur of dumpster fire tweets and tweet threads. So Mm. I want to unpack just what happened. Really what, Brian? Like, the last two days on Twitter... Uh, we mm-hmm. podcasted about modesty. Got a ton of feedback about that. Mm-hmm. I know I was posting about it on Twitter, but you have a gift for what? Wh- what do you even call this gift for upsetting the feminists, the wokesters? Well, see,
2: my gift is that I can concoct a tweet that is utterly benign to myself, and I think yeah, that's completely true. This is un- unironically a non-controversial, and then right. send it out, and pretty soon. I find, narrator, it was not uncontroversial. It was not. So that's my gift, whatever you call that.
0: So one of the interesting things that happened was you tweeted, um, and we'll get into this, we'll read some of the tweets. People responded, you responded to them. But at some point, we had people like Kyle J. Howard, the fake cry picture poster guy. He was Uh, there. He showed up. Mm -hmm. We had Beth Moore show up. Beth Moore
2: was, was, she was not at home. She was in my mentions. She
0: was. <laughs> she was Big, in my mentions. Beth. Yeah. So, kind of the average, typical crew of ambulance chasers for the woke mafia on Twitter. And, and finally, was TBD and what I can't pronounce his name, Ron Burns showed up. And uh, for my money, that's kind of where things got interesting.
2: Sure. Yeah. I, I would agree. I would definitely agree. We've, we got, I mean, in terms of, uh, let's say, marketing dollars spent on the average conference these folks are involved in in the year, probably
1: in the tens of millions. Oh man, we got our money's worth. Yeah, yeah, it was up there.
0: We we did get our money's worth. So Dan, I want to ask you. I think you've you've got this, but the original tweet from Brian. I actually I want you to present Exhibit A for why Brian is a bad person. What oh, did Brian man. do? What did Brian do, Dan? If well, you could what read Brian that tweet, press.
1: Yeah, what Brian did is he he took a, a pretty modest-sized stone, if I'm honest, and he threw it at a very angry hornet's nest of feminists and antinomians. He says, Mr. Brian Sauvey, on July 15th, I'm mad, guys. I'm mad because the white knights out there defending the freedom, with scare quotes, of Christian women to dress like whores are actually defending the hatred of our daughters and destruction. Of our sons, there is seemingly no depravity the Antinomians won't defend.
0: was Wow, that, was that for, okay? For, first of all, Dan, um, I'm going to need you to narrate the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy so that we yeah, can listen to that as a family. The, that the was thing beautiful.
1: is, I, I'm just not good with the, the high pitched voices, so mm, you that, need someone right. for that.
2: That was a humble brag if I've ever heard one.
1: <laughs> He's got a good falsetto.
2: <laughs> it's it's shockingly true.
0: The first question I want to ask about this tweet, Brian, I'm going to, I'm going to ask mm-hmm. you the first question, I guess. But first of all, just unpack for us. I, I, like I said, you and I were talking about modesty. Um, but what was the motivation for this particular tweet? Um, what were mm-hmm. you experiencing seeing uh, on Twitter or elsewhere that, that motivated it?
2: Yeah, sure. So my wife had been tweeting about feminine attire and Dressing in appropriately feminine and modest way, so that you're not falling in either of those ditches we talked about in the modesty episode. About saying that Christian modesty for women is frumpiness, which is denying nature in one right. way, because feminine beauty is glorious. It's a veiled glory di- by design, and then on the other hand, not to fall in the other ditch, which is to unveil that glory before the masses. So exactly what we talked about, and she was getting ratioed pretty hard. So I, I just started. Retweeting some of these people like, hey, th- someone said, I'm convinced you all want folks to dress like women on Little House on the Prairie. And I said, that would be a tremendous improvement from what we have going on. So <laughs> insert based Christian Chad slash saying yes dot meme and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, their best response to a call to modesty really is just a spluttering. So you want women to dress like insert the dress of a period dominated by Christian morality and chastity. That should tell you just how successful the pagans have been at discipling Christians. And the point, what I was getting mad about is to see so many people defending in the name of Christian liberty, like, hey, when you say, women, don't dress immodestly and, and start defining that too particularly, like, hey, bikinis are immodest. What you're doing is binding consciences and you're being a legalist. And it just made me think, what depth of depravity will these antinomians not sink to and not defend with something as historically obvious as wearing a bra and panties in public is immodest. So that's where I was coming from.
1: I've got a, I've got a question. Antinomian. Uh, for those who might not know, uh, not me, could you explain it to them like they're eight years old? Antinomian.
2: So against the law, you see this in some, some hardcore Lutheran camps where they deny the second use of the law, that the law can, or third or second, I can't remember how the Lutherans break it down, but yeah. basically oh, deny that. Yeah, they do. So it, I'm always confused. It's the denial either explicitly or functionally, and that's important, that the law today ought to be a guide for Christian living. So, so to, the antino- to the formal antinomian, the only purpose of the law is to reveal our sinfulness and call us to need for grace, not to train us in righteousness. And so any call to biblical morality, to obeying the moral instruction of the Bible, gets rejected as legalism. Or functionally, when people start to so narrow the scope of how you're allowed to apply the Bible until you're no longer allowed to use, say, like, hey, this verse says this principle in our culture today wearing a bikini would violate this principle and they'll say but where's your verse that says thou shalt not wear a thong bikini
1: and i bet you eat bacon too that's usually the caliber of theologian we're dealing with
2: yeah
0: (laughs) yeah it's interesting one of the one of the flavors or the consistencies that i saw in everything that was happening on twitter um you're really dealing with feminists and white knights and and we can all ask in just a second to define those, you guys to define them, but one thing you notice is that there's very little rational argumentation or thought. It's almost all emotional manipulation. Um, so every time I jumped into the thread and tried to make an argument, people would say, you know just say things like, "Well, what kind of hurt are you carrying in your life that you would even think such an egregious thing as that?" And mm. what it reminds me of is like manipulative women, um, in particular. So. I I wanted to speak to that flavor for a minute. Why do you think this thread, there really wasn't much, I didn't see anyone, and maybe I missed it, it was long. Mm -hmm. I really didn't see anyone make a coherent argument against a scriptural warrant for modesty.
2: Yeah, no. Mainly it was objections to using the word whore. Right. Or just complete mischaracterizations. I mean, Bath's tweet, was essentially implying that I was okay with men treating women like whores. So it's it's that kind of thing where they're just they're reacting kind of like a a yelping dog that gets hit by a rock that kind of thing. Not a lot of reasoned argumentation or or specific hey. And and the thing is, I I, I aim to answer those. I had a conversation with Tabidi on uh, at today that was fairly ironic about it. And we obviously don't agree. But in that conversation, at least, he was sort of saying, this is what I had a problem with. And that was probably the closest.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and so for both of you too, i I'm curious the use of the term whore. Um, if you read your Old Testament, particularly if you read the prophets, it's, it's God calling his people a whore all the time. And in fact, a lot of the passages that, that we would maybe point to in terms of uncovering and modesty and shame and doing things that are shameful, those are the passages when God is calling his people a whore. Why do you think people took so much exception and, and do take so much exception to that kind of language today?
2: Hmm. You know, I think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that, and actually this, this illustrates why I chose that word, which I explained today in, in, a, in a longer thread. Why, here's why I said this word. It's because in our culture, the, the, the values have shifted so far from, Christ, from any kind of Christian morality that they don't think, even if they were to agree that maybe a bikini, some bikinis are immodest, they wouldn't think that it was that big of a deal. They right. would say, this is kind of, uh, you know, whatever, because so many people are doing it. We're an absolute pornified culture. We are sexually insane. We have no idea what you know, we have, we just don't know our left hand from our right hand. And so my aim was, I'm going to use a word that is as shocking as this sin actually is of publicly uncovering your nakedness so that I I can at least try to shake that numbness or get through the numbness to the nature of the seriousness of the sin that's being committed when you publicly go about dressed in your underwear and bra.
1: Yeah. I also think that what the word whore typically is uh, is an attack against uh, females. The, the word itself is used to describe a female, you know, in, in sin. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody knows what whore means, but what, what happened is, like I said earlier, you threw a rock and it hit one of the major idols of this time. And this current zeitgeist is that women are untouchable and that women in a way are gods. And so don't poke the gods. Mm. They're the untouchables. That's a good point.
0: Yeah, that, that's a huge point, Dan. And it really gets to uh, what I said earlier. I want to get some definitions on this, um, but particularly on, on white knight culture. Um, what is that? I think it's related to this issue. Um, but who are, and, and I guess either one of you can answer this, but who, who are white knights? What, what do we mean when we say that in this context?
1: Yeah, well, I think... Uh, really simply and, and Brian you can you can follow up but there's an innate desire in all men to be a savior they want to be yeah. a savior they want to yeah. save the girl or you know de- beat the dragon and get the girl sort of thing um but instead of actually doing the hard things that men are supposed to do they they actually have a wrong aim uh their target is wrong their target is actually instead of standing on righteousness and on the principles of God, and uh, rightly identifying the dragons, they instead are trying to appease the woman. They're trying to be a sycophant to the woman, and so it's a misdirection, a misuse of their desire to actually be a savior. And so they, like I said, they they misidentify who is God and what the what the what the mission is, and so they end up trying to please women like a sycophant instead of.
0: Uh, saving them. Yeah, absolutely. I, w- I would agree with you. Brian, I- any other thoughts or additions that you might have?
2: No, make? Dan, that, that what, what immediately came to mind was Dan's characterization of, of one of the main problems being idolatry of women. So that, and you see this worked out in all kinds of places in the modern evangelical church where men's sin are hammered. I mean, hammered to dust. Men are not encouraged. Men are. The way that we teach men is by yelling at them and calling them idiots. And, and actually, the way that Beedi did in his response to me, identify at least 99% of the problems in the world in men, which is why he, I mean, he said all caps, that is the problem. And he was referring to men's fantasy lust world. Yeah. Note no, Beedi that is a problem. And women also sin in this area. Men, like we said in the modesty discussion, women love to be lusted after. That's one of the ways that they sin in a peculiarly feminine way. And men love to lust. And so they sin in that direction. So when Dan pointed that out, I think you get this other kind of picture of white knights are like knight, you know, knights of the round table tilting at windmills. They're fighting the wrong enemy. Yeah. And at the same time, they're like priests in the temple of Aphrodite, where women are their god, or at least functionally. And so they're going to work and keep the garden. They're going to keep the temple. They're going to defend. And so they end up directing their savior nature, which is inescapable in men. It's designed. It's a design feature. They misdirect it, and they actually end up attacking people who are trying to help women, yeah. which is what a tweet like that is actually aiming at doing. So I think, I think that's a, a, a pretty accurate way of summing up the white knight ethos, idolatry, and what's going wrong there.
1: You know it's, uh, Eric, I'll let you jump in after this, but you know what's really interesting is we saw correlating sins with this because the, the glory of a woman is her chasteness, like being covered and uh, her purity is the right. glory of women and the glory of men is their honor. And mm. what you have is, are women that are unchaste and then men are, that are dishonorable defending them.
0: Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's absolutely huge. And the way I saw it is, look, there's two basic presuppositions that get fleshed out in the way that people responded, particularly, I think, Beth Moore and Tibidi. So first of all, Beth comes in and she's like, well, the problem is why do you think that women are whores and what kind of men would think that? So number one, she is really good at playing the victim, right? Women are always mm-hmm. the victim of some crime and men are always the perpetrator. mm mm-hmm. And then I think tied to that is this idea that women cannot be confronted about sin because they're sin- they don't sin. They're sinned against. So this really is not a biblical understanding of uh, gendered piety or sin, particularly as it relates to women. Of course, we would say women sin, and obviously it needs to, it needs to be called out. But I thought it was interesting. Beth stepped in, and she made her comment, and then Tabiti immediately jumped in and was like, just... Pretty, I thought he was a. a it's funny he, he called me a jerk and some other things, but I thought, wow, he's actually well, really rude. I'm sorry, well, never mind. he might have I he will, might have had a point. Have... <laughs> no, and I, and I don't take offense to it, but what I think is interesting is he jumps in, he's calling people jerks, he's he's really going for the throat, and it's that sense of like I'm defending this woman's honor, and then immediately Beth is like, "Thank you, to BD, my my hero, my rescuer." So that's kind of a good picture of what we're talking about. Uh, with white knighting, the the other one I wanted to point to was um, he actually didn't respond on that thread. I don't believe, but I saw this tweet. It was happening simultaneous, and this is Jacob Denhollander, and I've called yep. him the yep. white knight of all white knights. I mean, just I think disgusting some of the thing him and his wife um, will do on Twitter to other people. But Jacob jumps in and he, he says this. This is his tweet. He says nothing good, and I mean nothing has ever come from a man on Twitter commenting on what women are wearing. Literally, no one wants to hear it. Not a person, not a soul. So zip it. No, that's not an exception. Put your phone down, bite your tongue, see, we all feel better now. So again, this is really getting to that issue of, you know, it doesn't matter, Pastor Brian, you are not to address female sins publicly.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Touch not God's anointed. women don't sin
0: yeah that's right don't sin that's right
2: it's all the men's problem
0: and that's where i think you you look dan mentioned this before how do you know what a culture is worshiping Well, just look at the blasphemy laws look at the things that you are not allowed to talk about and not allowed to say yeah and you will be disciplined by the priests church discipline like this You'll be removed from the camp.
2: You'll be called unclean. You will be outside. You will be, uh, you know, outside of the boundaries of what is good, true, and beautiful in this cultus.
0: Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. I I, I did want to interject at this point. um, My my wife's not on Twitter. um, But just to get an outside opinion from a woman, a dear woman raised in the patriarchy, I asked her, I said, what would you call? She doesn't know anything about this because she always tells me. She's like, I don't even want to know about what you're starting with Brian on Twitter. (laughs) <laughs> so i said honey i have a question for you what, what would you call a woman like what would you say a woman is being like when she's wearing a skimpy bikini at the beach what would you say she's dressing like and my wife said well i'd say either a stripper or a whore oh so right Whoa, there that's... dan I, I rest
2: my case oh, <sighs> did beth Moore at literally pop it her head in the window and <laughs> say oh, what are you doing yeah, that's right. She hit her with a Lifeway study guide that she'd made. That's right.
0: <laughs> be silent. Men are trying to Silence women. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, Brian, I want to ask you, um, we'll kind of jump back into this specific tweet and then unpack some of the specifics. I know, Dan, you've screenshotted and uh, pulled some, some trash out of the dumpster that we can talk about here, uh, which should be interesting. But Brian, uh, the one lady, Erin, you, you responded to her. And she she took exception, right? She says, dress like whores, which was the phrase, needs to be flushed out. Beard guy doesn't get to define a subjective insult. So first of all, um, you you notice this whole thing is making a statement automatically means you're insulting someone. Because you don't, don't, first rule of woke culture, you don't talk about women's sins. Mm -hmm. So Brian, you responded, you said, Aaron, I'll be very specific. A woman publicly wearing a bikini is being flagrantly immodest. She's dressing like a whore slash prostitute. Agree or disagree? And if you do disagree, do you think any of the men who wrote the reform confessions would agree with you? So I'm going to ask you, Brian, at this point, because um, this is really where everything took off. Yeah, it was this tweet. It, it was this tweet and, and really everything that followed that, that caused the issue. Why do you think this, of all the things that you've ever posted, apple pie maybe ranks up there, but why this? Bikinis, whore, prostitute. What is it about this tweet that is so incendiary?
2: Well, there, I think there are multiple issues going on here. Everything we already said, I won't repeat mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. That's going on. That's underneath it. There's another thing that's going on, particularly in uh, Mrs. Harding's tweet, that I think is interesting. And it is the accusation of moral subjectivity that I'm giving a subjective insult. And so what they're trying to do, the play they're trying to run, and a lot of people did this as well. They even quoted some, you know, CS. I saw some C.S. Lewis tweet, uh, tweets. C.S. Lewis didn't tweet, by the way. <laughs> uh, some C.S. Lewis quotations about modesty is basically culturally relative. And so go to, you know, go to the, the islands of whatever, Papua New Guinea. It's probably not an island. I went to public school, guys. And there you'll find women in, you know, essentially bikinis, what we would say today, and then go to Victorian yeah. England, and you're going to have different standards. And, it's, and the, the point is, of the Lewis quote, and Lewis is profoundly wrong on this, as he is on many things, is that this is just a subjective sort of thing. There's no absolute standard. It's, it's culturally conditioned. And so right. find a tribe where women go around topless, and for them, that's fine. Breasts aren't sexualized. And my response to all of that is to say, no, 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 no. I'm not being morally, you're being a moral relativist. I'm being a moral objectivist. Because the standard that I'm appealing to, and it's the standard against which I'm judging a bikini for permissibility, is the standard that you see clearly in scripture, which is, go to, for example, Exodus chapter 28, verse 42. What does it describe as covering the nakedness, even of the man, the priest? It's a garment that covers from his waist to his thigh, to his knee. Uncovering his thighs in that passage is nakedness. Go to Isaiah chapter 47, verses 2 and 3, and guess what you find? The exact same thing. The uncovering of that area of the body being characterized as uncovering the nakedness of a person. So the Bible does not fail to give us an objective standard. As we said in the modesty episode, the standard is essentially that you ought to be covered from about collarbone to knee. and that exposing that portion of your body is uncovering your nakedness. And it's a fundamentally sexual act. We see this as well in the New Testament. With, uh, you know, take Peter when he's fishing and he sees the Lord post-resurrection. He has taken off his chiton, his outer garment, in the context of that passage. And what does he do before he goes on shore? He puts it back on before he jumps in the sea and goes to shore. Why? Because he's dressed appropriately to be working among men in a blue collar setting, fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Before he goes back to the shore, the delineation of the boundary of society, he covers himself as a man as well, and you see this this sort of definition as being just un, I mean un uh, controversially adopted for most of Christian history, and so wherever Christians have gone, part of their discipleship of native peoples as they receive the gospel and worship the Lord Jesus is to properly honor their bodies, correcting pagan idolatrous practices that were unchaste according to that objective standard. So, I mean, Aaron did this. We saw this over and over throughout the tweet replies. This claim that I was being a moral relativist, and I would actually say, another tweet that I said, if, if, if you say that wearing a bikini is not immodesty according to a biblical standard, then what principle would you appeal to to say that nipple stickers and a thong are, are not immodest? I mean, what is it a percent... And you just find out people are moral
0: relativists. Yeah, you you would basically have no standard. Um, One of the things, Dan, I want to ask you, um, in all of this is another presupposition that, number one, fathers and husbands don't have any say or responsibility over what their wives and daughters are wearing. So I want you to address that issue. Um, Again, my argument, and, and Brian and I argued this, but I think you would say the same thing. Right, fathers and husbands actually have a supreme responsibility to protect their daughters and wives in this way. Correct? Yeah, that's
1: correct. I mean, masculinity is the joyful uh, acceptance of sacrificial responsibility, and part of that is protecting those that are under your care. And so, if one of the charges from Scripture is, "Hey, don't uncover your nakedness," you should make sure that your your wife and your children. Don't uncover their nakedness. I mean, that's pretty simple. It, 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 just along the lines of any other um, commands of, of the Lord. I mean, it's, that's it. You're responsible. I mean, it, the, the thing is, is that women can, can sin even with a, a covenant head like her husband being responsible. She can still sin, but it's still the responsibility of the husband to instruct her in righteousness. So yes, it's absolutely man, men need to take the responsibility, need to take the mantle and to protect their women. Because like I said earlier, the glory of women are in their chasteness. Yeah. An unchaste woman is a not glorious thing. That's why the word whore is so offensive is because it is amongst the highest shames that women can, can bear is being a whore because their right. glory is their chasteness. And so men need to take the responsibility, fathers and husbands need to take the responsibility to make sure that their daughters and their wives are covered. I think that's pretty obvious throughout scripture.
0: Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with you. I think it's also interesting to point out here, there's something else going on. Most of these people, um, the celebrities especially, would call themselves complementarians and have called themselves complementarians. Um, mm-hmm. I know not all of them without exception. But what's interesting here to me is that functionally, like when the rubber meets the road, I do not believe that they actually think a husband has a real authority over his wife to make those kind of statements, including Brian, as we talked about before, that what your wife, let's just say wife for now, what your wife wears, like that comes under your authority. She cannot wear whatever she wants and dressing like a whore does not make her free. Correct. Correct. And it's the the principle is clear in scripture
2: that there's a mutual in the oneness of a a husband and wife. There's both the hierarchical element of headship and submission, but there's also a mutual giving of authority to the other over your own body. So a husband ought to dress in a way provided, you know, biblically sound that pleases his wife. She has authority. His body belongs to her. And her body belongs to him. And what's funny is that most, most of these folks that were married today, I doubt would have a, much of a problem with the first thing I just said. But, oh, yeah, of course, because husbands are idiots. They need help dressing. They need to be dressed by their wives because otherwise they'll just look slovenly. And all. <laughs> right. Oh, but as soon as you say, actually, also, wife, your body belongs to your husband. He has authority over it. Straightforwardly biblical statement.
1: Misogynist.
2: Unbelievable. I'm, yeah, <laughs> oh, unbelievable. <such. laughs> and and this, this gets to the heart of the failure of complementarity, complementarianism, as a theological framework to explain biblical sexual ethics. Right. Because it, it's too narrow. It's defending too narrow of a thing. What we need is actually, it's, it's too scared of hierarchy. Complementarianism is like deathly afraid of saying there's anything like a hierarchy in marriage. It's ab- a, a biblically obvious that there's a hierarchy in marriage biblically obvious that that the husband is the head that she ought to submit to him that you know 1 Corinthians 11 at all i mean it's biblically obvious complementarianism in just trying to defend this weaker position that men and women merely complement one another so of course they have some different roles just like this lego and this lego fit together they fit together well Yeah, but the Bible also says not only do they fit together, they fit together because they were designed to exist within this certain sort of hierarchical structure where the husband is the head of his home, head of his wife, and is to be respected and honored as the head. She's to obey and submit to him. And that there are actually natural reasons for that, that she's more easily deceived, Paul would argue, from creation. And so especially with doctrinal and life issues, she needs to listen to her husband Because she's more easily deceived than he is on these fronts. Case in point, almost every reply to my tweet by a woman. Yeah, that's interesting. You can edit everything I just said out (laughs) for the sake of our sanity in the future.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, it's interesting, Brian, too, because um, when I step back and look at what's happening, right, going back to the very original tweet, um, and, and after we did the episode on modesty, there was a post that I shared at least on Facebook, but it was floating around about a youth pastor who was yeah. encouraging, essentially encouraging um, the young women in his youth group to strip it down, you know, wear what you want. And his only criteria was, wear what makes you feel fun. And oh, then I at couldn't. the very end, he said, church, live like Christ. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was, there was no scripture. Um, he actually apologized. He said, all these years that I've been calling girls to be modest and you know what i want to say to the guys stop being gross so we actually will talk about this this shows up in tbd's comments right the the source of the problem is actually in the the man's mind and not the woman is not communicating anything apparently by what she she wears but again when you step back and you look at this thing fundamentally what you have is tbd other guys men in the church this youth youth pastor they are saying to their young women, hey, take your clothes off. I mean, fundamentally, that's what is happening. So that's where I found it so, I guess, egregious. Like, who is actually hurting women here? You're encouraging women to dress like whores. You, you ought to be protecting them. Do, do you guys... Um, I, I just wonder if you, you see that happening as an overall theme. Absolutely.
2: No, you do. I mean... And, and it's, it's not like, none of this is cultural, um, what's the word? Cultural analysis, PhD level. Most of this is like yeah. one-on-one cultural analysis. We're like, hey, that's what I meant by the, the culture cultist, that the culture comes from the worship of a people. Is that you can see, I mean, pretty much like you can identify who and what does this culture worship based on their social and cultural practices. Right. And it just shows up throughout these conversations. That, again, they worship, they worship, and, and actually, but let me make another point really quick. They, they hate God. And so everything that God yeah. says, they want to upend. So if it's true that there's a hierarchical relationship of the husband to the wife, of you know masculinity, so man just generally is the glory of God. Woman generally, in a disambiguated way, is the glory of man. That's not just in marriage. That's a creational principle. So everywhere that you would see that hierarchy fleshed out. You should expect them to hate it and try to upend it, which is exactly what you're seeing. So, hey, if men are called to protect the chastity and honor of women, even women who will not do it for themselves, uh, then what we're going to do is we're going to defend the so-called freedom of women to be unchaste. It's just this very basic upending of God's hierarchies, of God's values, and it's, it's not difficult to see. I think anybody who, that's why I kept asking about the reformers. I think this is so obvious that if you asked any, but any serious Christian who is outside of our culture in history to analyze some of the things that they're claiming, they would be like, burn it with fire. Yeah. Probably literally, they would probably start.
0: Putting <laughs> that. Well, I think, I think it was helpful. Um, I saw Ben Zorns, uh, obviously one of the pastors at Christchurch, Church. Um, he had a thread, I think this is from today, but he said, the advocates for immodesty and unchaste adornment are the minority position in Christian history. And he has a very long thread where he goes on just quote verbatim from John Newton and others. And I think the point here, is, and he's absolutely right, you're right, uh, same point being made that historically, I mean, what, what I would love, you know, is to take somebody like John Newton and just like walk by... To a college campus, and then talk to a Christian pastor who's saying, hey, girl, whatever's fun. Like, you sound like Luke Bryan from a country song. Hey, girl, shake it for me. Like, that's the pastor.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's the pastor. Newton would be like, fetch my belt.
0: I know, that, I know <laughs> that Oliver Cromwell would probably kill the guy. Phineas would. Yeah, fetch my sword. Fetch my spear. I shall run him through. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. It, wh- and it, it's, it's so obvious. That, that, that would be what their response would be.
0: Yeah. And, and so I, I guess what I want to ask Brian and you, Dan, as well, we should not be chained to history as though history was infallible. But I think particularly in our context, right, history matters. And it's important for us to realize that like, we're the weird, weird anomaly here, right? Yeah. We're what it looks like for a culture that was successfully
2: evangelized and discipled mm-hmm. by Christianity. To then be is successfully counter-evangelized and counter-discipled by a different God. That's precisely what our culture is. It's an obvious example. So we tend to think of, we tend to think in terms of progress, where history is a procession of progress, and, mm-hmm. and liberal ideology is all about progress with actually no fixed standard by which to measure progress. But that's kind of their thing. So you end up with things like the sassy seminarian or whatever sassy seminary student said where she said, actually, the men who wrote the Reformed Confession, such as the Westminster Divine, thought women should all wear head coverings, lest they be dressed like a whore. Does your wife wear head coverings? (laughs) And what's funny is that she thinks this is a dunk on me because it's so obvious that head coverings are antiquated and ridiculous, which is a position in Christian history that arrived precisely 15 minutes ago, conveniently with the arrival of first wave feminism, that yeah. corresponded with an actual campaign from first-wave feminists to mail in your head coverings so we can burn them. Interesting, and so really. The, the, oh yeah, that's legitimate history. That part of the campaign of suffragettes and of first-wave feminists was send in your head coverings. It's a it's a mark of subjection, which actually First Corinthians 11 says it is a mark of authority on your head. And the answer that I really wanted to send, but I didn't because I felt like I was trying to avoid being sarcastic if at all possible in any of these. It's just the yes meme guy, you know, because my wife does wear a head covering. It, right. and, and it's like, and they think that that's unthinkable, that the Westminster divines were so obviously wrong there. And I'd say, you know, make, make an argument that they're wrong. Go ahead. But, but you have to do so with some kind of epistemic humility and awareness, situational awareness of yourself, of your place in history to, to realize that I'm making an argument that almost no Christian ever would have agreed with. Right. And, and has some humility there. And they just totally lack that humility. They treat our culture and our cultural values and intuitions and instincts
0: as if they are obviously true, which is gay and stupid. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you, Dan. Do you think, I mean, some of this is not surprising from the culture, but are you at all shocked that so much of the, Like. Look, the, the big players on this tweet thread are not, you know, pay, it's not Cardi B. It's Beth Moore and it's Ron Burns. Does that surprise you at all?
1: Mm, does it surprise me? No, no, it does not surprise me. Well, what, it, what it, if you were to look around the landscape, if you had uh, spiritual goggles and you were able to see, like, what are the idols at work in our culture right now? I mean, we've identified it over and over and over again. It's it's women are untouchable and people are confused about anthropology. Like what is a human? And, and <laughs> right. I, I mean, so it, it shouldn't surprise you at all that when these, Oh man, how winsome do I want to be? These charlatans are essentially attaching their views to the zeitgeist in order to perpetuate these, these ideas from predominant culture. It doesn't surprise me at all that they would take issue with this. Cause they do it over and over and yeah, over and yeah. over. And so, I mean, you see if, if I have a tree out in my front yard and I'm like, what kind of fruit tree is this? Cause there's fruit on it. And in the fall, right. it produces a lot of apples. You're like, Oh, it's an apple tree. It's an apple so it's tree. not surprising when these people, they keep producing the same fruit over and over and over. And you're like, Oh yeah, that's, you know, that's a feminist tree or that's a, that's a goat <laughs> tree is essentially what it is. I mean, like yeah, it keep, yeah, they keep yeah. making goats. People keep losing, leaving the faith because of their ministries. I mean, and it's not long until people like them, Eventually, leave the faith or deny the faith in some capacity. So, no, it doesn't surprise me.
2: Does and it surprise I dare you? you. <laughs> like, go look through the replies, see the people liking and cheering on their replies. Yes, and what you will find is that the, it is a certain type of person, and that certain type of person loves things with rainbows on them. That's all. I'm yes. With.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, it, it's interesting too because I I've shared similar uh, comments on Gab, and it's funny because people are like, "Yeah, duh." What is this weirdo on here talking about the modesty for? We all believe uh, that. So obvious. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to throw a few of these uh, screenshotted tweets your way. Sure. Sure. And and first of all, I just want to preface by saying like, I'm I'm really what I'm trying to get at here is, Brian, why are you such a racist, xenophobic person? Oh, um, yeah, That's a good one. Is it nature or nurture? And we'll never know. We'll never know. It's your fundy gospel weirdness. So this is from Amy, who's got a, I don't know, a British flag and Hebrew name, Hebrew letters next to her name and her handle. So you know it's going to be good. She says, apparently, I I think it's a she. I just assumed her gender. I'm sorry. Apparently, if you don't live by American fundy cultural standards, you probably don't have the gospel. Tell me you're straight up racist (laughs) and xenophobic without, oh wait, too late. And then she quotes (laughs) you. And you said this, Brian. This is what is so racist and xenophobic. Brian Silvey said, we call them to faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus, then teach them to obey all he commanded. Okay. I didn't see any xenophobia there. Hold on. You go on. Cultures are the result of the worship of a people. So we aim to change the worship by grace through faith that they might begin to know their right hand from their left. Did I miss something here, Dan? Where is the xenophobia?
1: I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's in the. Oh, no, I don't see it either. I don't see it either. Maybe it's the fact that um, culture is also untouchable.
0: Yeah. Ooh, and except also,
2: except cisgender, white, heterosexual, male Christian culture.
0: Yeah, I was going to oh. say, but that's none of my business. I actually did <laughs> spot the racist xenophobia, and it's in Brian's profile picture. He has oh, white yeah. skin and he is a man with facial hair. Strike one, strikes two and three strikes 2 and 3 you're out. Yeah.
2: You know what's hilarious about this tweet Eric is that and Dan pointed this out yesterday. I think he saw the same thing and he's like they think that you're trying to make American culture the standard American fundy culture. <laughs> yeah, what? We hate that culture. No, no 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 no. I'm trying to make like Genevan culture. Like I'm not like No, no no no. You you're misreading me here. I'm our culture is Produced by the worship of false gods Even American fundamentalist culture Is often produced by like Fidism and all kinds of really weird Inbred forms of Christianity That's not what I'm aiming for Go way further back that, That's what we're aiming for
0: Yeah it's, it, it goes much deeper than that um, the, the other thing I want to do Is I want to look at some of these celebrity tweets Under a microscope mm-hmm. And um, I want to look at BD Bob This Ron Burns <laughs> Bob. I'm pretty sure that's his street name. I don't know, and I can actually say that. By the way, he said that once. I think it was together for the gospel. He said you can. That's call their me.
2: word. Eric. He said
0: you you can call me Beedy Bob, and you know what? I was there, so I have his permission. So, okay. Beedy Bob I'll says, allow it. "Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you, Brian. Mm-hmm. Beedy Bob says, and and this is tagging on to Beth Moore." I guess I'll read that. Beth Moore says, even more relevant topic might be men who treat women like whores. Um, I guess start start there. One of the things you notice in these discussions is that it's always misdirection. Mm -hmm. Right? We always just want to change the subject. And I think part of that is in a feminist, effeminate world, this is kind of how women tend to be, like very indirect, Non confrontational, confrontational. We'll see Beth, you know, play the victim and she's hurt, etc. So then, mm-hmm. yep. Beatty Bob to Beatty, he interjects and he says, or those who see whores, quote unquote, whenever they see a bathing suit. We have to stop acting as if an interaction like this is only one way the woman communicating something by her dress. There's a whole world of thought in the man's head, and that, all caps just like an old person would do in an email. That needs to be understood as a source of problems. So first of all, correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, this, this is just misdirection, right? He's not respond- They're not responding to anything you said. It's just, no, it's just changing no, the it's subject.
2: S- it's sneaky. It's, this is a classic liberal tactic where they pretend like, and they know what they're doing. They mm-hmm. absolutely know what they're doing.
0: To they pretend is like, clever.
2: Oh yeah. He's smart. He's guy. very smart. Very smart. And and Beth is brilliant. Like I mean, she's brilliant. Quote me on that. Put it in my Twitter bio. She's brilliant. She's very smart. She's very good at manipulation. And these tactics are, once you see through them, you see them everywhere. Once you're like, oh yeah, that's what that is. It's everywhere around Mm -hmm. this, this gospel coalition world. What they're doing is they're pretending like you're trying to defend a certain proposition that you're absolutely not trying to defend. And then they interact with you as if that's what you're trying to defend. So for example... Beth, her, the imp, the clear implication of her statement is Brian is okay with women treating or men treating women like whores, and in fact he's probably doing it right now. Absolutely not! I'd categorically deny that. Men who treat women like whores need to repent. Men who lust after women need to repent, lest they go to hell. They ought to cut off their right hand, pluck out their eye, obey the Bible, and women ought to
0: as well. One of the questions I have with it, Brian, it's a very effective tactic. Um, it's used in politics all the time. Beth Moore, yeah. her brother, Russell Moore, twin brother. They're actually not. They're not related <laughs> that I'm aware of. But they, <laughs> whatever. Okay, but my point is, you you look at the way these people do this. It's very effective, et cetera. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is a form of lying about somebody else and bearing false witness. Is it not?
2: Yeah, it absolutely is. You're bearing false witness. You are ascribing by implication an abhorrent position that somebody else does not hold. Even if it's a perfectly fine position, you're either genuinely mistaken and need to correct yourself and you just made a mistake or you are intentionally being a deceiver and actually more than that, a slanderer because you're maligning somebody's character, attempting to poison the well. It's a species of the genetic fallacy. I mean, it's just what sin doesn't it commit by principle?
1: Yeah. Yeah, you see this misdirection with Aaron Harding. Also, she she said ten out of ten would say a woman deserved it because of what she was wearing. Yeah, she was talking about me.
0: Which that was slander. Yeah. Brian is the ten out of ten. What's a really one out of Thank one? Thank you. One out of one, Brian. <laughs> on my scale, yeah. he is a ten. So he's a ten.
1: Yeah. Pull that quote out. Pull that quote on. Pull yeah. that quote out, Eric. Put that. I'm remember bio. that one.
0: Oh. Yeah, that's a yeah. Pull- that's a pull quote if I ever saw one. To Dan, I'm a 10 out of 10. You know, <laughs> That's you my know, whole Twitter bio.
1: It's, it's not just, you said it was a move of the left, but really what, what this, this redirection move is, is someone realizing maybe that their uh, position isn't so strong. The Example, a boxing match. When you get someone in a corner, they realize they're in trouble, and so they're not going to just like stay there. They're going to run, or they're going to misdirect. They're going to grab. And so what you see is mis- lots of misdirection, not a lot of direct interaction. Like we talked about in the beginning, if someone said, all right, Brian, so you're, you're using some, some standards of the law. Okay. So what about tightness of garments? And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, let's, let's talk about this because you have mm-hmm. to use wisdom in order to, to um, you know, obey the law. But there, was, mm-hmm. there is none of that. It's misdirection. It's, it's grappling and it's, it's running away.
0: Yeah, I think what, Dan, what it gets to, Vox Day brought this up in one of his books. I think it's called SJW is Always Lie. And part of the reason they have to lie in this manner is because they do not have the truth on their side. And so one of the things you'll notice in, like, complementarian, people who argue for complementarianism, particularly against patriarchy, I think of Amy Bird. I think of Beth Moore. Beth Moore will drop bombs like, well, come on, people. It's just Paul. It's not like it's the words of Jesus. But she will never get into an exegetical debate about the actual text. And I think that's because deep down, she can't defend her position. And I think right here as well, they're, they're, they're basically being slippery because they know they have to be. And exactly like the boxing analogy. Well, if you know you can't knock the other person out with a direct shot, you're just going to have to bob and weave and you know do the Muhammad Ali and hope they wear themselves out with the rope-a-dope. I think it's important, though, strategically to spot this, right, for what it is to understand that, it, like Brian said, once you see this play being run, you see it happening all the time. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the other thing I would point out here is kind of what Beattie Bob does next, and he responded to that again, and he said, besides that, I've seen prostitutes in my community and others, but I've never seen one in a bikini or a bathing suit. So... One of the things that strikes me about both, both lies is that fundamentally, and this isn't new, these are both logical fallacies. One is a straw man, right? You're mm-hmm. arguing with a position that no one, in this, no one in this thread is arguing.
2: And I later told him, I agree. Yeah. I agree that men's sin is bad.
0: Move on. I yeah, agree. move on. So number one, you have a straw man. This is a fallacy. But now we've got, and this is how I responded to him. I said, you, you've got another fallacy here. So A, because you've never seen a whore in a bathing suit in your hood. I was trying to be, you know, street there. Not neighborhood, but hood. So that's A. And B, therefore no whores wear bathing suits. This is illogical. So one of the things, you guys are starting a school. One of the things I I hope that you're going to teach at your school is logic. Why is logic so important for people to understand?
2: Well, because we're trying to, you know, we're trying to promote white supremacist culture and logic is <laughs> a tool of white supremacy.
0: Yes. Obviously. Yes. Beautiful. I mean, beautiful.
2: Duh. No, it looked like Dan was actually going to say something real. So
0: about colonialism, neo colonialism Oh, well,
1: you know, one of the, one of the great aspects of the reformation was the desire to find truth. That was uh, like one of the highest aims of man and scholarship was to find truth. And so much of our culture now is the pursuit of happiness. You know, what mm-hmm. makes you happy is whatever the, the individual determines. That's, that's part of the reason why logic is very important. Uh, the other thing I would like to mention, getting away from the logical fallacies, is that he's making an argument that whores or prostitutes actually wear more clothing. I just wanted to throw <laughs> that out there.
0: <laughs> Dan! If Dan. I had sound effects right now, I'd be like... Dude, brrr.
2: I'd be playing organ. Dude, I'm going to add something. No, that's a tremendous point, because if you actually have to say, I've never seen a whore wear some, so little as a bikini in public.
1: <laughs> they at least have the uh, dignity to cover up their nakedness. Uh, how is yeah, that in actually?
2: Public. And A, it's, it's not true, because the, w- when you look at this, the, the equivalent, absolutely, prostitutes go around in all kinds of immodest attire. And that was, the, that was obviously the point. That was being made originally so let's let's just misdirect with this really strange red herring that has nothing to do with it that actually i want to say good point you know what good point ron yeah thank you that's more, very based they're way more modest
1: based mm-hmm. both Hors beth and, and ron are based i mean with their with their I tweets know. i think we decided that that was true
0: yeah i know so I, I, I want to follow up Ron uh, Ron Burgundy, uh, Tabidi, whatever his name is. Uh, he responds again, and uh, he used my first name, so I kind of feel special, guys. Not going to lie. Not going to lie. He says, oh, Eric, and I already feel like I'm being chided by my grandmother. Oh, Eric, you simpleton <laughs> retard. Oh, Eric. Okay, I added the simpleton retard. That's yeah, he didn't, just, on, he didn't say that. He didn't say it To be clear, he didn't say just it. Just for clarity's sake here, I don't want to lie about anybody. He says, are you really showing up in public to defend, and I love this part, are you really showing up in public to defend the subterranean predatory thought life of men, men so weak that instead of dealing with their own fallen thoughts, they disparage women with slurs. You really trying to cape for this crap? So what I think is interesting, this is another just misdirection, but I, I, you know, I read my comments, I read Brian's comments, and I was like, I'm thinking to myself, where have I ever said that I'm trying to defend the, quote, subterranean predatory thought life of men? We're talking about modesty. I mean, I had several people respond, and they're like, you're not being very nice to Ron Burgundy. And I was like, now listen, this guy's being... hes Ron Burgundy's lying about me. Anchorman is off base, and I don't appreciate it. So this stuff actually gets... (laughs) Brian's losing it. This stuff actually gets like pretty, like hardcore lying, right? Oh, I, you know what, Eric, I didn't
2: even, I didn't connect all the dots there because that was, I should have brought this up. That was his summary of what I was attempting to do in my tweet. Yeah, that is the, I mean, that's indefensible. Nobody, this is a perfect example of that. Pretend that they're trying to, like you say, women should dress modestly, and they're like, how dare you defend men's right to rape women? Right what the heck, man? Where did, that, where did that come from? And your reply about the, you know, what is real subterranean here I thought was, was apt. I can't remember exactly what it was. Maybe you haven't. I don't, I don't know.
0: Yeah. So I, I just responded to him and I said, calling husbands and fathers to lead their wives and daughters as commanded by scripture is supposedly, quote unquote, defending the subterranean predatory thought life of men. Yeah. And I said, this is what a false teacher looks like. I've watched this guy operate on Twitter. I've seen him um, interact with Doug Wilson, uh, the guys on Cross Politic. I think what's so tricky about it is he's so clever about the way that he he speaks. He speaks in such a way that it's like really hard to follow. I mean, I, I've been to seminary. I wouldn't call myself stupid, but most of the time I'm like, I don't even know what he's talking about. It, it sounds smart.
2: He's funny. He's, w- I mean, he's, he's, funny he uses that you're trying to cape for this guy it's just it's very relatable and and that's why you see the people showing up are they in the mentions outside of these guys they tended to be a huge a huge weight in one direction and it was snarky pagans right so snarky atheists snarky pagans and sarcastic liberal christians progressive christians who are actually not christians i mean they're defending gay marriage in their profiles pronouns the whole nine yards and the language, the tools and tactics they use in their discussion are, are almost identically borrowed from that culture, from that progressive playbook of snark, sarcasm, misdirection and the like.
0: Yeah. And it, I, I guess on one level, it's, it, it would be cool to actually have an argument, but for their, for their perspective, it is smart. If you, don't, if you know you don't have the truth on your side, that's the best that you're going to be able to come up with.
2: Yeah, later he asked me, you know, he, he said basically two statements. These are my, because I had agreed with him. I, he brought up again, like the male sin. I was like, I agree with all that. Da, 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 da. Glad we agree on that. The And then he said, well, here's my, thank you for seeking, you know, conciliation or something like that. But here's the right. two issues I had. And the first one was, uh, I don't see anywhere in the Bible that, that forbids bikinis or anything like that. And so I gave him. Uh, Exodus 28. Isaiah 47 So this is what I'm talking about. That's where I'm coming from. Never, never responded to that. Never yeah. responded because that, that explained here's the standard I'm measuring against. Make a biblical argument. Say I'm taking it out of context. Give, give me something that addresses the heart, the, the core claim I was making, according to the standard that we both say that we agree with, which is the scriptures. Just doesn't happen.
0: Yeah, it's interesting um, too, and, and this is one of the points I want to make. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Tabidi responded to all of this. Uh, to me. And he said, no, your tweet is what lying and libel looks like. My tweet didn't mention any of those things, but to be controversial and to perhaps feel like you're some kind of defender, you have to misrepresent others, don't you? Learn to read, grow up and stop defending foolishness by now. So this is the other thing that I've noticed about the SJW woke crowd. They always telecast what they're doing by projecting it onto you. So I, again, I'm, you know, I'm very unbiased when it comes to reading my own stuff. Of course, I'm always in the right, Brian, you, it's it's just, it just happens to be that way. But no, I mean, even asking some other people and saying, okay, read what I wrote. um, You know, and I had some people say, yeah, you're kind of an ass. And I was like, okay, yeah, I can, I can live with that. But I said, do you think that some, yeah, sometimes Eric Khan
2: is, is abrasive.
0: Yes. Yes. Nobody's
2: saying otherwise.
0: No, nobody. (laughs) And Eric's
1: like, target nailed. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Target nailed. Right yep. T- you nailed know if, if there was if we're going to make a sandpaper analogy <laughs> like I'm aiming for about 300 grit. Yes. Eric's like 16, 18. Oh, boom. 20. He's I mean pretty much like
0: rocks. Oh man, thank you. Thank like you. Eric's guys. the
2: Clint Eastwood of this of this <laughs> gang. I mean,
0: you're the cl- Yeah. So, but go go on. Sorry. The the, the outlaw theologian, I guess, is, is, is somebody called me the other day. Yeah, I so, saw that. But the thing is, I look at my tw- you know, my tweets and my responses I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. People say you're an ass and I say, you don't know the half of it. Okay. We're good. But what kills me is I read those tweets, I've asked other people to do it. I don't think I lied about anything about Tabidi. And then I'm looking at his tweets. I'm like, dude, you're lying about people left and right. Like that is your playbook. So I want to ask you guys a question strategically. We, we've talked a lot about this. But why, just, just look at like any battle, any quarrel, any conflict. Once you start to recognize the play that the, that the enemy, your opposition is running, how does that help you and how do you move forward with that information, right? One, part of you can just be bitter and frustrated, which we shouldn't do. But you can also use that information to your advantage. And, and I'm curious if you have any thoughts on how do you use this type of information to your tactical advantage?
1: Yeah. So one of the principles of war and I was going to start talking and then that principle was going to come to my mind uh, is, uh, but I can't remember it. It's, it's uh, information essentially Uh, strategic information. And so the, the goal is when you identify the enemy is to figure out as much as you can about them while revealing as little about yourself as you can and your positions yeah. and where you're going to attack and things like that. It sounds like we're really being militant right now. And I guess it is a principle of warfare, but we're using them as general principles and discussions about ideas and reforming the church and all that all for righteousness and the gospel. So that disclaimer aside. And so when you gather information like this, when you interact with people that are thought leaders in the predominant mainstream Christian, big Eva, machine, what you can see from, from these interactions are the primary tactics that we're talking about, and you can force the narrative. So one of the things that you can do, and this is also a principle of war is being able to pick the ground that you, that you fight from, right? You want to have a strategic ground that you fight from and a defensible position. And so when you engage these people, It is important to know the weapons that they're going to use against you, such as lies and deceit and misdirection. And for the sake of the hearers, you're going to want to make sure that you have a defendable position so that you're actually right. First of all. Yeah. Yeah. And then that your position is defensible because if you're actually wrong, that's that's a bad. I mean, you can obviously we're all going to be wrong and you need to repent from that. But even the way you repent can be a win in that in that arena. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so knowing the weapons that the enemy is going to use, and I am considering Beth Moore and the Ron Burns and um, Aaron Harding and any of the others that, that we, we, we didn't even talk discussed.
2: about Kyle James Howard. No, but, no, yeah. no, no, I, mean, no, know, I didn't, didn't talk even talk about him, him.
1: but I, I do consider them goats. The fruit, like I said, they, it's like a goat tree. And so uh, when you identify the enemy and their tactics that they're going to use, they're going to use lies and deceit and death and enslavement in order to achieve, achieve their objective. And so you have to preempt those attacks and make sure that you're right in a defensible position. So that's some of the things that I would consider is knowing the attacks, knowing the weapons that they're going to use. So when you read their tweets, you can preempt like this person's MO is to lie mm-hmm. and to slander, to um, ad hominem attack, to use logical fallacies, to try to misdirect. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that's good to point out and to not let them get away with it. Mm hmm
2: you've got to be very careful with your speech. You know, you just have to be very careful and very precise with your speech before you say something, particularly something memorialized on the, you know, timeless halls of Twitter, Facebook, social media, something that can be screenshotted and and distributed forever is that you need to be able to defend your position. And so the standard that I use, I said this today, I think by the standard that I use for my social media is I'm not going to tweet something that I'm not willing and able, to the best of my knowledge. I could find out I was wrong later through argumentation. That's fine. But to the best of my knowledge, I want to be able to defend it from the pulpit and the local news if necessary. Like if they put up a headline, local man says whatever. Even if it makes everybody hate me, I want to be able to say, well, yeah, I'm right. And here's why. Right. And, and (laughs) and, And one thing I think it's important to note is that you're going to have Eric's and you're going to have Brian's in this world. And that's part of God's uh diversity of deploying his troops because I'm different from Eric. I, I'm you know, I talk different, I have different things. Eric, your comfort level with um like just you're you're much more flamethrower than I am in conversations. And my aim is much more like I'm intention I told my wife today, I'm intentionally aiming, especially in responses of people who are increasingly hysterical. I'm trying to be aggressively irenic. Like aggressively just calmly pointing out, no, you're misrepresenting me. That's not what I said. You, you're, you're wrong. And just being aggressively polite sometimes, not all the time. And I think both approaches are important, but what happens, what I'm aiming for with that approach is that you have to understand that you're not actually mainly trying to convince Beth Moore to change her mind. She's, no. been, she's been told a million times where she's wrong and where she's off. She's, she's likely not... Pray for her repentance, but she's likely not going to change her mind. Who I'm trying to convince are the literally to the last that I checked, 120,000 people that saw my tweets today.
0: Is that what it was?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably much more than that by now because it, it tends to grow exponentially as folks jump in and, and dunk huh. on you. And so who I'm trying to convince is to show people that actually this guy's not on hinge. This guy's not crazy. He's not a jerk. He is trying to be at peace with all men. And Aaron Harding just keeps being an unreasonable, loud woman. And I think a lot of people are actually reasonable and they might not like, comment, and do anything, but they're going to see. And so I, I want them to see that. That's one, of the, that's one of the things I'm aiming for in my Twitter interactions.
0: Yeah, I think that's helpful. Uh, maybe a good place to wrap up, but one of the questions that I get a lot, and I'm curious you men's thoughts, but um, it's the question of why even go on Twitter, right? We know it's, uh, in large part, a leftist cesspool. Um, you know, like you said, you're not going to change Beth Moore's mind. Um, I feel pretty confident that Beattie Bob and me are going to work things out. Um, yeah, that's a different that. thing. Praying for that. You know, we're, I think we're tight now. But what is the... Like, what's, what's the long game here? Strategically, is it, is it smart to get on Twitter and tussle with your, Mm. with your homeboys.
2: Yeah. What's the long game here? What is the long game? Well, what are we trying to do? What is the Lord? And again, we don't, we don't invent this. We discover it. The Lord Jesus has instructed us to evangelize and disciple the nations. Where are the nations? Where are they talking? Where's their Areopagus? Where's their Mars Hill? Where are the public intellectuals? They're on these spaces. So we ought to be there. And then as we're there, what kind of examples do we see? Well, we see reasoned, irenic discussion. See Acts 17. That's a good example of Paul going, and he's very irenic. I see that you worship, you're a very religious people. And uh, I see this monument to the unknown God. He's very reasonable in that interaction. You also see Gideon, who's like this coward that God makes into an iconoclast, and he just starts going around knocking down people, literally knocking down people's possessions. Imagine if someone started doing that today in, big, in, in the big evil response, like, can you, well, unless it was civil war statues, I'd be fine with that. But, you know, I mean, imagine. And so you have a biblical example, I think, of, of many different ways of attacking it. But the same shared goal is at the root there that we're trying to disciple evangelize the nations. And that's going to involve coming ideas, coming into conflict with the pagan zeitgeist in ways that expose evil, which, you know, hopefully brings them to conviction of sin, and then bring in the balm of the gospel and the regenerating work and help to purify the church. All of these things go into that task. And I understand why some people might say, I'm going to avoid these areas, but I do think that a faithful presence there until they kick us out is wise.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I also think it's, it's for us. Well, first of all, that's how I met you guys. So hello. Yeah, that's right. Twitter's important. Hello. Um, but Dan, I want to get your take. Um, you, you, Dan is the third personality here. Um, Dan is like, uh, he's like the fly on the wall. And then Brian and I talk a lot. And then Dan will say like one thing. And I'm like, that's the most brilliant thing that's been said all day.
2: That's really good. So that's
0: Dan, no pressure. Really, that's really kind. I've got nothing other than so. Brian
1: is really <laughs> irenic. I still don't even know what that word means, and I know what flamethrower means for Eric. I am kind of <laughs> like the. I will like your tweets. I will like those tweets so I don't know, your,
2: your response to Beth Moore was,
1: yeah. I, well, I, I mean, so good. so you want to see that 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 thinking? That's what I was thinking with mm-hmm. the strategy of of keeping your opponent in a corner, and so she made an attack against men, and I said, here, you know, let me just read it because. I'll I'll pat myself on the back a little bit. It
2: was good. It was good. I want to hear it.
1: She said, an even more relevant topic might be men who treat women like whores. Men who treat women like whores. Okay. So this is a different subject than what we were talking about. And I said, Beth is getting at the root of the issue. Men not loving their wives and daughters by allowing them to uncover their honor before strange men. Or in the words of Beth Moore, treating their women like whores. And so that's, I, I don't, I don't tweet very often, um, but in, in situations like that, what you want to do is not let your opponent escape. And right. although I am I'm, I'm small, like I don't have, I don't have followers. She's got probably hundreds of thousands. Does but, she have over a million? Oh, I, I, let me, let me look it up. She has uh, no nine and three quarters. Oh my. 973,000
0: followers. Jeez. Yeah. Beatty's only got so. 68.
1: Yeah. Big time. So anyway, the, but like what Brian said, I'm not tweeting for Beth Moore. She didn't see my tweet. I don't right. really care. She has thousands of notifications at any, any time. But what, what, what we're trying to do is especially young men is encourage young men to stay strong in the faith and then to show the folly of the enemy. And so I think it's really like Brian said, it's very important to engage in Twitter, even though I don't have a lot to say. Hopefully when I do say something, it's well thought out. And, and, and I have like tweeted things before and went, oh, that was really dumb. I'm going to just go ahead and delete that. But, but that's, that's, I think, a really good strategy to have is to, is to encourage young men, to encourage men and women to stay strong in the faith and simultaneously showing the world how, how foolish their their reasoning is and and how bankrupt you know they are and in need of the gospel
0: yeah yeah well and folks don't let dan fool you he's he's the hammer he's the hammer of thor or he stole thor's hammer and now it's jesus hammer i don't know how that works but i'm i'm fat thor <laughs> <laughs> hey dan you know you know what that
1: hey still packs punch but you know got a gotta gut
2: <laughs> hey absolutely I, I do think it'd be i think it's worth noting something to young men who are going to listen in on this because yeah, Eric, your audience is a a great audience. I mean, uh, probably like our, our tribe folks that are like, they're liking and they're following and they're not like, man, Beth Moore made a good point though, you know, for the most (laughs) part. I I think it's important for those guys to really take care to heed that warning that Dan brought up that you need to make sure that you're, that you are telling the truth need to make sure you have a defensible position because there's a difference between a good joke and a good burn and a good comeback and a defensible position. So, and they sometimes align in this sweet spot of glory and then fine, you know. But take care, like take care that you maintain the moral high ground in the discussion because they're going to go, they're going to rush as quick as they can to the moral low ground and slander you and do all kinds of stuff, case in point, right. replies. But you need to make sure that when you're fighting, you're fighting for a just cause, you're fighting for the truth, you're fighting for the purity of the bride of Christ, and that kind of thing, so that, so that you can say at the end of the day, um, okay, even though I'm going to do this imperfectly, I know I'm going to give an answer for every idle word I spoke, tweeted, wrote, whatever. So make sure that you're able to do that to the best of your ability, and repent, and be humble, and all of that when you haven't, when you do fall, when you do fall short of that, and uh, be teachable. Uh, I think that's a really important thing for This audience to hear, and it's always one of the things that Dan and I, pastoring in a local church, are looking at to measure. Sort of how are we doing in discipling these young men who have a lot of zeal? Let's look at them. How are like are they defending truth with zeal, but also with joy and with uh, with truthfulness and and so you know just keep a watch for that in your own life and in your own heart and uh, and I'm not saying that you can't make a sick burn or that kind of thing ever, but I'm just saying. Make sure that you're that you're you're standing on defensible ground whenever you do take that stand.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's um, one of the other things that's really helpful um, is having a group of guys in a local place um, who can have conversations with you. Um, it's usually Dan. Dan is usually the one who's like, "Okay, that comment sucked. You need to do <laughs> do that again." And I'm like, "You're right, Dan." But we we need that. We all need that accountability because. Uh, as in any combat fighting, whether it's spiritual or otherwise, um, as men and and you have to know yourself, but uh, many of us have the tendency to go too far, and so we need that. And then also the reminder that um, you know there's other people watching that you may not. They may they maybe they don't comment, maybe you never see their comment, but um, they are definitely learning lessons. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're on Twitter, we're on social media, but uh, definitely have your local tribe and and masculine accountability there too. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, We'll be sure to link to everybody's Twitter handle in the uh, show notes if you're not already following uh, Pastor Brian Silvey, Pastor Dan Burkholder, Refuge Church, Utah. Or if you're in the western part of the states, go check them out. Wonderful service. You can hear Brian sing the Psalms and the whole church. It's beautiful. Mm, mm. So, guys, thank you so much. Stay Stay frosty. Stay frosty. Are you supposed to say that? Uh, That comes later That's later That's the close That's my closing It's already recorded I don't know if I've ever Actually
1: listened to the end So Oh boy (laughs) It's
2: coming out We really mangled this end Okay Fade to the music Fading out (laughs) Fading out Cut it off
0: Until next time, men, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.